0: We're in a series in Isaiah, Electrifying Humility. We've looked at Isaiah 6 and worked our way through to and now Isaiah 9, starting at verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Nations. on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Let's pray and seek God's help in understanding this word. Yes, Father, we thank you for this word to us and we thank you for this prophecy and your plan of salvation, your will from the beginning of time, Lord how there would be a creation and a new creation. There would be a creation where we would experience joy, and there would be a new creation where we would experience great joy. And we pray that we would come to understand and appreciate and see, even be a part of your mind and and seeing how you've worked it all out in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, Christmas is a time that we have to celebrate Um, We have reason to celebrate, and we need to celebrate, okay? You know, we have reason to celebrate because how do you pass up on an opportunity like this where so much of the nation is celebrating, right? And they have all their reasons for why they're celebrating Christmas, but they are celebrating our holiday, aren't they? So we should be celebrating you know, we hear the line about putting uh, Christ back into Christmas. We all probably need to be re- reminded of that. It's, a, it's always a good reminder. But I also want to say we need to put the mas back into Christmas, right? Mas it's more in Spanish, right? We want more. How can Christmas be more for us? Many of us, you know, we want to celebrate because we are tired, we're disillusioned, and we're burdened. And we're kind of caught in that catch-22. We want to celebrate, but because we're all these things, we can't celebrate. We might feel like um, those trees that are out there, you know, the ones that are bare. They shed all their leaves, bone dry, eerie gray. But at nighttime, some of these trees, you will have noticed that they're like strung up in lights like down to the twigs. It's a beautiful sight, actually. It's at night, but you know exactly what the tree looks like with all their crooked lines and their twists and turns. But overall, you can see the sight of a beautiful tree. How can Christmas light us up like that? Just encourage us even. Because we need to break through that barrier, that barrier that many of us have within us that just wants to resist all the joy. We don't want to be a Scrooge, but we can't shake it either. What's it going to take to change us so that we could experience more of Christmas? In a word, it is humility. Humility. It takes humility to actually believe and to celebrate. We don't need a bigger production. We don't need more presents or parties. Some of us, we might not even need more alone time. We need humility. It takes humility to believe in Him, in Jesus, in all those parts and places in our hearts and minds that just doesn't think Jesus will make a difference. See, we've got a decision to make. We want to, say, we, we want to make a decision to be humble and say yes to joy. We need humility to be able to say no to glumness and yes to celebration. But what if we can't make that decision, right? And so, trying to take the pressure off of us for this sermon and this Sunday, before even our decision or act of humility, whatever we need to do first, would we consider, spend time considering God's act of humility? Okay, That's what we want to do. Consider God's act of humility. God would model humility for us so we would have reason to be able to humbly believe and celebrate. Okay, that's our aim for this morning, to see how God would model humility for us so that we could humbly believe and perhaps even celebrate. We know the story. God models humility for us in sending us a king, but a king as a baby. And this is just tremendous news for us to think on, for us to just receive. And this baby, as we'll see in our passage, represents hope, help, and humility. Would we humbly believe this Christmas? That brings us to our first point, hope. You know, Christmas is a magical time for many people. And it's magical because it was thoroughly historical. Okay. It's grounded in reality and history. 700 years before that first Christmas morning, Isaiah prophesied about the birth of the baby Jesus out of Israel's history. This is how it started. Look at verse 1, Isaiah 9, verse 1. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them light has shone need to explain this a little bit more see it was a deep dark time in the history of god's people last couple of weeks we've covered how the king of judah king ahaz he failed to lead god's people as god's king you know that's what god's king is meant to do is lead god's people in faithfulness We saw in chapter 7, Isaiah, he challenged Ahaz, King Ahaz, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Ahaz was not firm in faith. And of course, the king, all the different kings, then led the nation of Israel down the same path. Isaiah points out two tribes, Naphtali and Zebulun, tribes of Israel, they're in the north of Israel. This is important to know why that they're mentioned here, okay? Their existence symbolized physical and spiritual oppression. Spiritually, the northern kingdom, it, you know, they broke away from the house of King David and es- essentially established their own version of Judaism in the north. Zebulun and Naphtali, they were the northernmost tribes. They were the furthest away from Jerusalem and the temple. They had their own religion. And because of that, um, because of Israel's unfaithfulness to God, he removed them from the land that he had promised and actually gave them. That removal was exile, for their spiritual rebellion. And here's the thing, even after the people came back into the land after exile, they held on to their false religion, the religion of the Samaritans. In the midst of all of that apostasy and rebellion, God's plan was to restore them all. Starting with them. They were the priority. See, we like to give um, rewards to the most deserving, and there's a place for that, but thankfully God could make it possible for even the most wayward to receive honor. That was the spiritual oppression, and then there was also the geographical oppression. The north was where the foreign invaders always entered into the region. Assyria, Babylon, um, Persia... They all came down into Israel from the north. And so these lands, Zebulun and Naphtali, they were always the first to get um, attacked and they were always under oppression. Even at the time of the writing when Isaiah was writing this, Assyria was likely to have occupied these lands. You know what we see in Israel and in Gaza right now, what um, Tim prayed about, that captures the misery of the darkness that the north would experience. Forget the sides. Forget who's right, who's wrong. Just sense for a moment the anguish that's experienced in that region. That would be the frequent experience of the northern lands. And so you can imagine people who are vulnerable, worn out, despairing, even rebellious. People without hope. On them, God would show kindness and mercy first. Isn't it good to know that God... Um, he never brings about a humbling without a plan for exalting. That's the real historical context. It's like we needed to see the dark velvet cloth in order to have the, the brilliance of the diamond just be magnified. And that diamond would be the hopes of a dawn sparkling with the birth of this baby. We're looking at verse 6 now. That was the background... The dark background, and now verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Humanity has a a, a way of um, trying to have hope that darkness would not overcome goodness, that good would always prevail. That's humanity's hope. The Bible's answer is this baby, and that is just ridiculous. A baby, yes. This is the baby that was prophesied about earlier in chapter 7. The virgin shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, this would be no ordinary baby. We're told that the government is upon his shoulders. Usually it's the other way around, right? The government usually shoulders the burdens of the people. Like for myself... When Kay and I were in seminary seminary in Australia, Australia gave us bonuses for having children. We we really relied on those bonuses during those lean years. Maybe you should have had more. I don't know. Our babies were on the government's shoulders. But Isaiah is saying the opposite. The government will be on the baby's shoulders. Meaning this baby is the one who is completely and firmly in control like a sovereign ruler and victor. That's why he can support it all. And the son would be a king of a kingdom of people in this new world order. He's going to make it happen together. The father and the son, they would be the answer to the world's brokenness and sin where God is going to specifically have a people led by this king. Shouldering it all, what would that be like? In Psalm 2, we're told that the Father and the Son, um, they look down from heaven and they laugh. They laugh at all the the powerful people of the world trying to rebel against and break free and reject God. They just laugh at them. I like how the pastor Ray Ortland puts it. He says, imagine lining up all the strong men and dictators of the ages. The pharaohs, Alexander the Great, the Caesars, Napoleon, Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Idi Amin, Saddam Hussein, the Khomeini. Line them all up on one side. On the battlefield of history. And on the other side, who do you have? You've got the father and his baby boy, His hands are just big enough to hold the father's two fingers up against each other. You know, from our perspective, what we see are these wicked men, like they're rabid pit bulls, but from the father and son's perspective, he sees these puppies barking high-pitched yelps. And what's just as crazy and unimaginable is that the son's kingdom would be established not by force, or aggression. He would capture our souls in the most glorious and overwhelming and humble of ways. These are some big claims. A lot's riding on these words. This passage is saying we have no greater hope than the hope of this baby. Do we believe that? And I love how um, Isaiah says, for to us, to us, not to them, to you, to me, to us, is born a child. Those are two important words, to us. To us, not them. You and me, to us, is given. A son. This is for us to believe. There's a light dawning. Not the sun rays for the hope of a new day coming from the east, but a light from the north. John 1 actually captures this scene well. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There is our hope. Secondly, our help. Look at 6B, the second half of that verse. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We get these names for the baby. And we hear these names every Christmas at some point, don't we? And if you're like me, though, uh, you don't give it too much thought. Especially that third one, Everlasting Father. You're trying to think, oh, how do I make sense of that? It hurts my head. I'm not going to think about it, right? (laughs) Just move on. It's like the M&M's. You know M&M's? little chocolate delights, right? We know them as M&M's, but what do the M&M's stand for? (laughs) Right? We just happily eat them. But it's really a sad story, the the M&M's story, if you know it. Forrest Mars Sr. had a falling out with his father his father who founded the Mars Candy Company. Okay? Forrest decides to go to Europe, and he sees the British soldiers. They're at war. This is in the early 1900s. They're eating these chocolate-covered pebbles, and he's like, wow, that's a great idea. I'm going to bring it back to America, but I'm not going to bring it to my dad. Who does he go to instead? He pitches the idea to Bruce Murray, son of the Hershey's Chocolate um, Company president, William Murray, okay? And that's how we get Eminem, Mars and Murray. Not so with the Son. What happens there is not what happens with the Son. He would be in perfect harmony with the Father, a oneness. There would be no um, messy history or rivalry between himself and the Father. And there would also be this oneness that the Son would have with humanity. He would come from the Father divine, but he'd also be fully human, because he's born. And we see that reflected in the names, the couplets. There are two parts, right? One captures the human element, the other captures the divine element uh, uh, for, the, for the names of these ba- for this baby. And so in this way, the, these names, they're really titles about the character of the Son, showing how he can help us. We're just going to go through them really briefly. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful means miraculous. Counselor means wisdom. We're talking about supernatural miraculous wisdom. That's the kind of um, person Jesus is and how he helps us. He's like uh, a counselor identifies. He knows how to identify with us in our humanity and in our limitations. And he's Wonderful and miraculous in that He knows us inside and out, our inner being. He even knows things that we don't know about ourselves. He's working in our lives right now, where He's putting people and places and opportunities and experiences in our paths, so that we would have a chance to get to know God better. That's why Jesus was sent, wasn't He? So that we would all get to know God, our Creator, better. And so Jesus is working and helping us in ways that we don't even realize it at times. But this is a season where he's like saying, remember me, turn to me, Christmas. Can we ignore Jesus? And maybe though, we get these four titles and all these far-reaching claims that we just can't ignore because God is trying to get us to focus, to pay attention to these positive truths far more than our regrets and our frustrations and our stresses, our failures, our hurts, and our distractions. The principle here is maybe that we need to stop and think of all that is negative and that is wrong or could go wrong and set our minds on things above, on the positive truths and promises of God. You think that could be a good thing for all of us? (laughs) And that's the the wisdom of a counselor, right? They know how to redirect our thoughts onto more productive things, getting us to see things differently. Maybe that's what this passage is doing for us this morning. Do we need a, a miracle to have our thoughts redirected, our preoccupations redirected? This wonderful counselor can provide it. Secondly, he's a mighty God. This baby is born, so he's human, but... He's called Mighty God, and to have a title like that, either you are blaspheming, or this Son really is divine. And Mighty God, it means like the warrior God, and we all need God to be a warrior for us, don't we? He fights our spiritual battles, and He protects us. You know, I have different apps on my devices And you know they have readouts that tells me how many scams and viruses and um, spams that they've tried to that they've um, you know fended off. I get daily reports like 4,337 attacks averted. And in a similar way, our mighty God protects us spiritually. In fact, there are probably far more spiritual attacks upon us than we even realize. It's only when we're faced with like a real like, tempt, temptation that we're struggling with that we might think, oh yeah, I am under spiritual attack. Other than that, we probably don't even recognize the realm of spiritual warfare that we're in. I mean, just for instance, who would have thought that being preoccupied with all of my failures or sadness, that could be a spiritual virus like installed into our OS, our operating system. Who'd have thought that being distracted by pleasures, that's a, a spiritual battle of constant temptations just overtaking us, overwhelming us. We don't even know that we need help to ask for help, and yet, He still helps us. He's a mighty God, a warrior God. We'd be crazy enough to think, oh, I don't need an antivirus software, not for my soul at least, but the sun would never leave us without it. The king fiercely fights for me and mercifully spares me. And then third, everlasting father. Now we get to figure this one out, right? This is not a Trinitarian statement where Isaiah got confused between the persons of the father and the son. This is a statement about the qualities of a father to take responsibility for his family and to provide for it. As everlasting father, this king, this baby is totally committed to us. He takes ownership of us. The kind of care that every person needs and wants. Even like the staunchest feminist longs for this kind of care from a father as she rails against the patriarchy, right? But could it also be possible that we too don't think too much about these titles? But as we stop, think about the meaning. It's like we're being, to ch- we're being challenged to wonder, do I really believe this? I mean, do we want to have someone who is totally committed to us like Jesus? Or don't we? <laughs> do, we want, do we want someone who's committed to us that, that they wouldn't abandon us at the first sign of trouble and, or worse, at the first sign of inconvenience? Maybe now, in your hearts and minds as you're listening, maybe now's the time to just stop and check yourselves and say, Yeah, I need you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Can you do that for yourselves? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We we get these titles, this prophecy about this son, because the kings of Israel and Judah, they failed miserably. We got a glimpse of kingdom glory with David and Solomon, but it quickly nosedived after that. We saw in the previous chapter, King Ahaz of Judah, he was just a real disappointment when it really mattered. And it would be a steady and sure decline of kings in God's kingdom. Who would be that promised king who could bring God to humanity and the world? Who could bring heaven down to earth? No one could transcend earth to get to heaven, so he would come down himself. Entering his good creation, where the presence of this Prince of Peace, that would be heaven, in him. See, this Prince, he was ready to take his place as the king and dispense his peace. Heavenly peace. That's Heavenly peace is shalom, right? The shalom peace. Where we're aligned with God, with one another, and even within ourselves, that's like our total harmony. This Prince of Peace would command our hearts not through force or oppression, but with humility and even weakness to bring him out peace that we're all longing for. I mean, how many of us want peace within the warring parts of our minds? How many of us want peace to heal the wounds in our hearts? How many of us need peace for relational stresses? Peace for our disappointments with God? Peace for just whatever we're anxious about? Can Jesus help us? We consider the baddies of world history, now let's consider the goodies, right? Just think of some names, prominent names, famous people who've made a difference and an impact in the world. Uh, George Washington, James Madison, Isaac Newton, Bach, Handel, Michelangelo, Shakespeare, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, you know, there's a whole gamut of goodies. How much our lives are better because of these people, right? And the Father and Son will say, they are just a glimpse of what I have to offer you. Now here's a piece for eternity, and that eternity starts now with Jesus. You know, from the perspective of history, though, seeing all those goodies, it's actually not far-fetched to think that Jesus was the greatest figure the world has ever seen. And, you know, I'll even say this. A solid second, he's far off from Jesus, but he's still second, would be the Apostle Paul. Why? Because he just made it all about Jesus. Can Jesus help us? If these claims about him, these characteristics about him are true, then yes, he can help us. And we know for many of us that these are not just claims. He has proven his help to us time and again. Do you believe him? Of course you do. Do we want to be pushed to believe him more? Brings us to a final point, humility. What we have here in Isaiah chapter 9, the prophecy that culminates this whole section, is an outlandish picture of a king, born of a virgin, first of all, God with us, claiming to be surpassing all these goodies that have that accomplished in the, good in the world, to help his people. All of this is just so unbelievable. Many of us might be a little skeptical. If you've been around the church, you might even be a little cynical. But you know, Isaiah, he's not worried about that. He's not worried about that reaction at all. What does he do? No, he claims even more. He's not done. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Isaiah is saying, of the increase of, this, of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is God's way of saying, it's not going to end. It's going to keep getting better and better, like for eternity. <laughs> it's his government, his kingdom rule, surpassing all others, uh, his peace, where everything in his good creation will be brought together in har- harmony and true shalom. It's just ridiculous. We don't want to believe it. We don't want to be disappointed. I think we're more reluctant than humble. At best, you know, I think we might be 49% in. Just can't get over the edge. We hedge rather than be all in. But from the sounds of what Isaiah is saying about Jesus and what God is doing in Jesus, God is all in with us. He's saying the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He is not lying to us, and he's not backing out on us. He doesn't have second thoughts about us. He has no regrets. And of course, as we think in our lives, sure, there will be ups and downs. We'll be in and out of season, but overall, he's doing a work in us. He's doing a work in us that's going to get us to love him more and more and not disbelieve him more and more. It's going to get us to love him more and more and to believe in him more and more. And we will get on board with him. It's when that penny drops, when we start to realize, oh, he doesn't tire of us. He doesn't tire of my constant unbelief and doubting. No, I'm just giving myself to him. He doesn't tire of us, of giving us grace to help us to believe. He said he's going to do it. It's going to keep increasing till there is no end. He said it. Are we going to believe this? Yeah, the truth about this prophecy, this vision, this over-the-top word, is that we need this. Because we do have reason to be cynical with God, with the church, our lives. Maybe we're often distracted by the pleasures of the world, so we have no time for God, whatever it is. We need this word. We need to hear this outrageous word and and pay attention to it. There is plenty wrong with the church, plenty wrong with all the temptations that we give into, and yet this is the power of the King, to work with our weak, messy, messed up gathering of believers where he would get us to overlook all that could bring us down, all the reasons that we could come up with to complain, get us to a point where we say yes to him over me. Starting with him as a baby. This non-threatening, harmless, vulnerable, but powerful and approachable baby, modeling humility for us. This is what it all comes down to. For all of us, to believe is simply to humble ourselves to believe. Overriding myself in humility to take these words more seriously. Would you defy yourself and your reason, all your hesitations, all your calculations, and say, yes, I believe in this son. I believe he is my king. Some of us may not have done that yet. You may not have defied yourself and and all the doubts that you have about Jesus, but now you realize you need need Him. And this might be the first time. Maybe you finally come to the end of yourself, but the good news is that there is a beginning, a new beginning, a start of peace with God and Jesus. This might be the first time where you come under the rule of King Jesus. I hope you can say that and pray that for yourself. It's his reputation on the line, his glory, his zeal to help us and even to help us believe in him more. He's so good. We want to believe. We need help to believe. And he's come down to earth to get us to believe. Would we be overwhelmed by how good and glorious he is as we stop and just really ponder these words? For us who do believe, would we then defy our sadness, our reluctance, our hedging? Dare to believe and hope in Jesus this Christmas time. And you might start by asking, asking him simply, help me to experience humility, the kind of humility that you modeled for us. We have done it before. We can do it again and we can enjoy and celebrate this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we need hope. We need help. We need humility. Thank you so much that in Jesus we have it all. We believe. Help our unbelief. We pray that each one of us would be able to, in the quietness of their own hearts and minds, be able to ask for the humility to believe and even to rejoice. Yes, we pray that that would be the Christmas spirit that you put us in. And that we could be able to rejoice together, we could be able to celebrate, and we could be able to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.